and understand that I only did what I thought was best. All these years, I wish you'd known me. And that I'd known you. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith and joining me on the bridge. This is Tyler Orton. I'm just going to step outside so you, Cam, can get your BS story straight. <laughs> you seem very chipper today. <laughs> Shaw is a god. <laughs> Captain God. <laughs> uh, he's all I ever need. <laughs> I love him even more now that I found out he was named after Robert Shaw for Jaws. <laughs> oh, uh, well, right on. You know, I, 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 uh-huh. He's like kind of the... Um, you know, okay, you and I just saw Scream 6 uh, in theaters, and... It got me thinking about that first Scream movie where you had like the Jamie Kennedy uh, uh, character, Randy. He was the kind of the meta character, the one that's kind of existing in a horror film. And he knows kind of the rules. And it's it's as if Shaw is <laughs> the meta character commenting <laughs> on kind of the ridiculous nature of like the actions of our most beloved characters where it's everything from, uh, what did he say? Like hot plating a uh, the saucer section of your ship onto some abandoned planet to uh, throwing away the prime directive to snog with some woman on Baku. It's just like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, point taken, sir. When you're making insurrection references, that's clearly someone who is a self-aware character. <laughs> I'm just picturing him like uh, just looking over like Picard's like uh, like record like nonstop as he's recovering from that concussion and leg injury <laughs> that he had uh, the previous two episodes. That's right. And we're here this week, of course, to talk about the fifth episode. We've hit the halfway point, people, of Picard Season 3, Imposters. We'll also talk about the latest episode of The Mandalorian later in the show. Plus, Tyler, I believe we have a special guest. Yeah, one Steph Herman will be joining us for this show as well. I think we had him back... Like, I know we were talking Mando with him uh, a while ago. I think this is around the time of Picard Season 2. Or no, no. It had to be Picard season one, right, Cam? I know the answer to this one. So you, your guess is Picard season one? Yes. Okay, no, it was actually the episode Scavengers from Star Trek Discovery season three. Oh, we were actually doing uh, guests on <laughs> season three. Um, I, I don't think we wanted to torture our guests any longer with uh, Discovery episode reviews. So that's why we kind of put an end to that. And I did misquote uh, Shaw just a moment ago. Uh, I think he actually said uh, that's when you were hot dropping the saucer section on the surface of a planet. I said hot plating. As they were cooking? Uh, <laughs> cooking, it, cooking up the saucer section, you know. It, you know, it's a plate, it's a saucer. I could easily get it confused in my head, right? There, there is a method to my madness, okay? Well, I would imagine the wreckage was quite hot. It had just come through an atmosphere, so maybe they're, like, putting some eggs on it or something. Yeah, you know, it's... um. Uh, makes me think of that... Uh, you remember uh, Hot Shots, uh, the uh, riff off of... Uh, uh, the Top Gun uh, franchise starring uh, uh, Charlie Sheen. Yep. And they have that sex scene in there, and like it's uh, it all has to do with food. And then you have like Charlie Sheen cracking an egg and like landing it on the woman's uh, stomach, and it starts sizzling as if like the egg is cooking on her belly. And <laughs> it's just like, 
It's just one of those weird, like that that movie was like a classic for me and my uh, sister growing up. Yeah, and that scene was spoofing the movie Nine and a Half Weeks, actually. Uh, well, Cam, I, <laughs> I, I I didn't know that. That's what it was spoofing. I just I lived that man. So it's just uh, there, there you go, right there, man. So <laughs> I'll give you a little more trivia. The sex scene in the second movie was spoofing No Way Out, the Kevin Costner film from 1987. I know all about hot shot sex scenes. <laughs> Yeah, you do. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, That could be taken in a very different way, but why don't we get into the episode, Imposters? Um, I've actually, okay, I typically start off with my thoughts, Cam. I'm going to throw it to you because um, there's one particular scene I want to highlight, and I, I, I don't want to, your uh, uh, judgment to be clouded in any way. Not your judgment, but your opinion to be clouded in any way. But uh, w- what's your initial takeaway from this episode? So I thought this episode was very strong for one-third of the runtime of the show. Mm, um, mm-hmm. I found everything, which we'll dive into with Picard and Ensign Rowe, and frankly, everything kind of centering around not just Picard and Rowe, but also Riker and Shaw. That stuff really clicked for me. It continued, I think, some of the strengths we had in the previous couple episodes, which I was more positive on than this one. Um, the other elements, whether it was the Worf and Raffi infiltrate the crime world again story, which has... I was reminded of you, Tyler, actually, when I was watching this, where I remember this was probably a couple years ago or something, and we were talking about, at that point, a possible Star Wars TV show, and you made some comment like, I have no interest in a Star Wars underworld show, or something like that. And mm-hmm, yeah. yeah, as of uh, this episode, I have no interest in any sort of underworld Star Trek show, because it's uh, really goofy stuff, and all the uh, ongoing mystery of Jack Crusher stuff, I just found eye-rolling in this one but uh what about you yeah this uh depiction of the star trek underworld is really making me give props to what we saw in boba fett's uh in its inaugural season there with how well they depicted the underworlds um cam you know i i will say this though when i saw Worf get stabbed and the <laughs> bad guy shook his head because there's no pulse i was in tears you know i realized <laughs> That they had been building up Worf's journey to this very moment, and I couldn't believe myself. I knew at that moment Worf was dead, and he wasn't coming back. It was the end of his story. There was no way out of it. And it was just so such a tense moment, Cam. I was on the edge of my seat, just absolutely bawling. And Cam, this is why this this writing staff keeps irking me. I, I, I think I've been a little bit more mixed um, this season than you have, or at least I know that I was far more mixed on episode three than you were. Yeah. I think we both really liked episode four. Yeah. Um, no win scenario without the hyphen. Um, it's this kind of writing with the Worf and Raffi stuff where I'm just like, oh, wow, they're just like repeating what we've already done. And even just how they keep having to restack things for apparently viewers that don't have much of a memory, like maybe kind of like goldfish-esque memories. It's really, really bad. You know, when like uh, the uh, when Kryn was like, Sneed was my brother. And <laughs> Worf has to say, he was a Ferengi, so you were not brothers. And it, it, it's there to remind the audience who Sneed was and remind the audience who never actually watched the previously. Or wh- why are the writers thinking like, you know what? Maybe somebody will skip the recap, and that's why we have to insert this really, really, really bad line in there. And then it's other stuff. Again, I, I'm focusing a lot on the um, the Raffi Wharf stuff. There's other mm-hmm. stuff I'd like to complain about. But, you know, they're talking to the handler. They're talking what we later find out to be Commander Rolaren. And they keep asking that. Can we go to Daystrom? Denied. Can we go to Daystrom and figure things out more? 
Denied. Can we continue on this mission? Denied. And then Rafi turns around to Worf. She's like, we've been denied. And I'm like, <laughs> we know that as an audience. I mean, yes. We, like, like, how many times do you have to, like, freaking tell us? And it's just, like, it's, like, like it, it's, like, writing for dub audiences and it's it's like that sort of stuff that is irking me i mean i'm loving like just wharf being on screen but it's mm-hmm. not enough to excite me if they're just giving him like really crummy stuff here and like um you know like just his perfect dry sort of deadpan quotes you know um like i think he was saying like i'm losing a lot of blood <laughs> like that sort of stuff it's it, it that's the stuff that's like uh really like make me love like the return of Worf, but the story that they're giving him with Raffi came at the halfway mark and it just feels as if like we they've just been dragging out the Worf and Raffi stuff so as not to spoil what what's going to be revealed to the characters on the Titan. And it's like they want the characters to the, come to the same realization at the same time. Like I have a suspicion, you know, like at one point Worf and Raffi are going to meet up with Picard and company. Right, that's just me. And they're going to kind of put well as rose said just connecting the dots there they'll connect the dots you know and it's i find this episode frustrating when Worf, uh, you know was faking his death after being stabbed and was laying there and they're like nope no pulse i was like please god let Worf die in this way that would be so amazing <laughs> that Worf died at the hand of raffi in front of a forgettable falcon criminal w- what an amazing finale like we we often will uh, gripe about the way that kirk went out in generations which was pretty lame this one would take the all-time crown and people would uh complain about it for decades to come so i was kind of amused and not at all surprised when he came back and saved the day but it was also kind of repeating the beats of the previous criminal story with raffi and Worf, where they are talking to a gangster criminal raffi is left basically at the mercy of this criminal and then Worf has to come in and kill everyone and get her out of there and i'm like wow like they just they have nothing. They are just repeating the beats again. And it's not interesting. They're just like finding these rando criminals who, you know, the performances of the criminals are fine. You know, it's kind of interesting to see a Vulcan gangster or a Ferengi gangster, either way. But like all they're doing is just tracking down exposition points. I, My, my other frustration, though, is I, I praised last week's episode for focusing solely on the Titan. I'm like, yeah, this is good writing. You're not having to go jumping back and forth between two disparate storylines that we all know will eventually connect. I was like, I want to praise the writers for kind of figuring out, you know, this is how you kind of crack the code for serialized drama. You know, focus on one story any given time. Um, I realized that the only reason they did that is because they don't have much more left to tell with Rafi and Worf. They just keep stretching it out. So they're like, okay, well, let's take a breather for like one episode. And then we can just kind of repeat the same beats again and again. And that's is just what's so frustrating here. It's like they just it, it it's like they still seem to struggle with like a lot of the the lessons that uh, they should have learned in previous seasons. But then you think about just all kind of the turnover uh, that's been going on with the, the writing crew, and it's just kind of like I I don't know like like how is it so consistently kind of like these bad like amateur hour kinds of mistakes in the writing. I have no idea. Did you roll your eyes as much as I did when they went back and ro- and Worf says, you know, we're the alphas now of the criminal underworld. <laughs> and, <laughs> and Raffi just starts like firing a phaser in the air and is like, this is our town. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. D- didn't feel like, <laughs> I know. 
<laughs> but it, again, it's just like it's like oh, this is giving me like Boba Fett vibes, where it, it's like yeah, they're just walking through the town, and you kind of know that they're gonna get bested by other criminals, and like, but lo and behold, you know, they kind of win out at the end. I'm just like eh, and I I cannot believe Cam, we've been on Metallus Prime for five episodes, including last week when we didn't actually jump into that. I am so done with Metallus Prime. This is just like, get us out of here. We're, we're at the halfway mark of the season, as you mentioned at the start of this uh, subspace episode. Yeah, with this like small kind of uh, fake looking set. I, I, I just, <laughs> it, you know what? Like all the stuff on Metallus Prime has made me appreciate that much more the episode, I believe it's Borderland from Enterprise, where they go to the Orion crime syndicate area or whatever and they get captured like they made the criminal underworld there seem like legitimately scary and threatening versus this which i'm like this seems very campy and silly well think about that deep space nine episode with o'brien um it was called honor among thieves and yeah. oh it was like a good solid uh character actor who is he was playing opposite against you know he had to infiltrate the orion syndicate and uh this is kind of his way into the orion syndicate i, I believe they're like I think there's like two sets. There was like an apartment set and there was like an alleyway set. And this is all you needed to depict the Orion syndicate in a very interesting way in kind of a character study of O'Brien and this fella that he kind of used to kind of wedge his way into the Orion syndicate to, well, I mean, that that thief didn't necessarily make uh, meet a great end there. But I just found that so much more compelling than all this stuff that we're seeing on Metallus Prime where, it, you know, it's like kind of the same B-roll that they keep uh, running again and again to kind of as kind of the establishing shots when you get back down onto Metallus mm -hmm. Prime. And it's, it's like the same aliens doing like the same drinking motions. I'm just like, oof. Like, oof, this is bad. I feel like Kryn was sitting in the exact same spot that Sneed was in his episode. <laughs> Didn't even say, like, this is the exact same spot that Sneed was. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I believe it. You know, yeah. you're, you're cutting costs on uh, your uh, production uh, right there. It's okay. Um, Cameron, um, the ship stuff. Uh, I was... I, I went back and forth so much with the return of Roe Laren here in that... I uh, I I was like, please, do not have her revealed to be a changeling, like because I I kept wondering in my head like why would Michelle Forbes even come back for that? And then I realized there's no way you could get Michelle Forbes to come back to play Roe for one final time yeah. if she's just going to be revealed to be a changeling. So again, that saps kind of the tension out of it. You know, maybe you could believe the writers would be so bad as to turn her into changing by the end. But I had enough faith in Michelle Forbes and kind of her reluctance. She never wanted to be, you know, the, the Kira analog on Deep Space Nine. She didn't want to define her career by Star Trek. And she's had a very successful career. And I, I, I just would not believe that she would turn out to be a changeling in the end. So again, that I found like all the way into the kind of revelation and that until it got into the holodeck cam, they are really loving that 10 forward set that they built last <laughs> season. Uh, I'll tell you that much. As much as the Metallus prime uh, crime area. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, they're cutting costs, right? That, uh, but what are they doing with those costs? Um, so look, I, 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 this is the other thing that irked me about this. Um, Picard talking about the betrayal. It's, not the performance. Like, I can understand, like, Picard saying those lines 30 years ago, but it's not the same performance that Patrick Stewart would have delivered 40 or 30 years ago. It's just, it's this raw sense of anger and 
betrayal mm-hmm. that was going on versus remember how he talked down Wesley in first duty? Yeah. You know, that's how I could have imagined. And Picard's been rehearsing this speech in his head for 30 years, Cam. That's <laughs> how I would imagine Picard having that particular uh, discussion with Roe. Not this like uh, visceral anger, like steam coming out of his ears sort of dealio that we said. And, and again, and people are like, I keep going back to this. It's like, well, he's changed over the years. I'm just like, well, it, it, these changes don't track for me. Worf's changes, chilled out Worf, that tracks for me. Mm-hmm. About seven of nine, at least in season three, um, the way that her character is acting, that tracks for me. Uh, not, you know, Gollum Picard though. And, and that's what I find so frustrating. Well, he is three years old, and uh, three-year-olds tend to be quite temperamental. Good point. I never actually thought about that way. I think you've actually changed my entire um, insight on this uh, Gollum character now that we call Picard. <laughs> I, I mean, I agree with you. It would be interesting to actually go back and put together a super cut of the series Picard and all the times his character like yells and kind of like screams at people. Because it happens quite a lot. And then go back and see how many times that actually happens in the series Next Generation. I don't think there's that many times where it happens. Like maybe, you know, Chain of Command, he seems pretty upset by the end of that one. Uh, Understandably so. But to me, there's a big difference between the torment of going through the four lights torture versus like (laughs) re-encountering Roe after many years. Like there's a difference. And yeah, like... this worked for me because I just, at this point, have to accept that this is the Picard we get. And as a viewer, I know about, obviously, the journey he had with Roe, the frustrations of the preemptive... Was it called Preemptive Strike? Is that the name of the episode? That was the episode. I think third to last episode of Next Generation. Yeah, like the frustration of her leaving to go be with the McKee. So it worked for me in that regard. I will say, though, in terms of the changeling possibilities, the one thing I did think in the back of my head was... What if this is a changeling row and the real row is going to come storming in at the end? I thought that was a possibility. Yeah, but then that still, okay, so this is what I'm very fearful of uh, in the season moving forward, though. I don't want to play the uh, guess the changeling game all season long, mm-hmm. in which you're having like moments that you think are very powerful moments or moments that you're like, oh, that reminds me of that great legacy character once more. Only for, you know, the rug to be pulled out from underneath you. And we're like, oh, well, that wasn't really the character that I thought it was. And, and like, even if we're having, like, Roe come back at the end, you know, the last minute shuttle mission or whatever, it does that kind of betray the great moments that we got with her and, and Picard in the holodeck, you know? And, and if we find out that's a changeling, in fact. And I, I go back to a series like the, the reboot of Battlestar Galactica and watch... I think they handled the Cylon threat in just this magnificent way in which we know out there that there are uh, Cylons that can take on human form and that they've been embedding themselves in, you know, a society for a long time. So you're still invested in all these characters without kind of that pall hanging over you that someone could, you know, be a Cylon at any moment. It's just, it, the way that they kind of threaded the needle in that series, I, I think I like that was very well done. Um, I'm very fearful of the uh, Guess the Changeling game season that we might be getting in the last five episodes. Yeah, I mean, in my world where this row is a Changeling, I would suspect the reveal would have to come before the heart-to-heart with Picard because that would be incredibly weird if that was the Changeling. <laughs> um, but yeah, like... 
I was uh, considering this earlier today with like the use of the changelings and that uh, I'm a little iffy. Like I'm excited to see changelings back on the show. And look, we're at the halfway point. We don't know what they're going to say about changelings by the end of this season. But it feels like at this point, they're just kind of like boogeyman villain kind of things just hiding all over the place. Whereas when I look at like the use of changelings in DS9, you had... You know, obviously you're not gonna have Odo on this show, but you had like the female changeling who I understood her motivations. She could present them in a logical way. It felt like a fully, you know, realized character. Whereas in this show, none of the changelings are characters. They are just, you know, imposters in plain sight, and we don't have any sense of a personality other than Vatic. And I don't really know what's going on with Vatic at this point. Well, somebody also pointed out that maybe Vatic isn't actually a changeling, though. It's just like, well, uh, some podcast I was listening to. I'm not. Uh, I I don't want to get it wrong, but like, like why the use of like a dagger to tear like the changeling hand off? Like, is there is Vatic like in the flesh, just walking around, and happens to have like just a changeling hand like hanging out on her body, her flesh and blood? Body, or is she perhaps just part of this evolution uh, that uh, Doctor Crusher is speaking of, and like they can actually, like almost down to the atom, like replicate human organs, and that's why she is in fact smoking real cigarettes and giving herself changeling cancer. I guess, like I don't know, uh, but Cam, again, it, it's when when you cloak your antagonist in all these mysteries, it, it's very hard to be invested in whatever their motivations are, as, as you mentioned before, the female change. And so this is, this is where we get into kind of the frustrating territory that we've seen with Picard in past seasons as well, when you just keep cloaking the motivations of your antagonists. Well, do you even think the changelings are the primary villain of this season? Well, I, I don't know. I, well, yeah. Like, look, I, I mean, look, uh, spoilers. I mean, like, uh, uh, well, like, based on the trailers, but like, we know that there's going to be other antagonists coming mm -hmm. around. So, but does it all come down to kind of these faceless changelings? I, I, I certainly hope not. I mean, at least we had Q, who actually wasn't really the antagonist in no, season two. Is more like Soong, I guess. Who's a familiar face, at least, uh, played by at least a, a familiar actor, and uh, to a certain degree, the Borg Queen. Very strange. Uh, I guess we knew the Borg Queen's motivations, like assimilate. Yeah. You know, um, season one was not great with Narek, O, and Narissa. No. Um, you know, so I don't know. It's just, this is what I keep. Like, I, I, I like Roe coming back. Like, it's that sort of stuff. I like Captain Shaw feeling chipper. Like mm -hmm. that sort of stuff. I like Dr. Crusher being super smart, doing autopsies on changelings that don't lose their form. Mm -hmm. Like I'm liking that sort of stuff. But when you're adding up a lot of the components and seeing what it all is as a whole, it just doesn't really hold for me, at least for this episode. Like I, I'm, this is the episode that just kind of like we're coming off such a high in the previous one. And this one, yeah. I just kind of fell flat for me, even though there are a lot of moments. As you said, there's like maybe one third of like some good stuff going on here. Yeah, like for me, the Roe stuff did work. And I mean, we had talked about how like Roe was kind of this mystery character. For a long time, we would kind of joke on the podcast, well, I guess she got wiped out with all the other McKee, uh, along with, you know, uh, Thomas Riker and all these other characters that were set up and then never paid off. So I was very happy to have a finale. And, you know, if they're going to bring Michelle Forbes back, I liked that it was a 
big dramatic scene with her and Picard talking about their relationship and the way that she didn't necessarily um, feel the same way he did. Like it was so much to him meshing morality and duty. And I like that both characters had a point of view I could understand and could also understand how they both felt hurt walking away from that uh, relationship. So I thought that worked. One thing that kind of bummed me out a little bit about the Rose story was you have her sacrificing herself at the end to help them. And I just felt like that would have impacted so much more if that character had been in more than one episode. Yeah. But it felt like kind of this bring her back, pay off the relationship, fire her off into that nacelle, boom, done. And I was just like, ugh. That could have been like an emotional, like powerhouse moment of the entire season. And it felt like more like Michelle Forbes was like, I'll come back, but I'm only doing one episode. And look, uh, I, at least I can do fan fiction in my head. Maybe she made it off in the transporter at the very last second. It wasn't exactly like a uh, cigarette smoking man death in which we see her flesh incinerated. And you know, Cam, they even brought him back uh, for the X-Files reboot a couple years ago. So there you go. Uh, Ro may not be dead. Michelle Forbes does not want to come back, I don't think. <laughs> she, I, I agree. I agree. Um, look, hopefully she's uh, coming to the Star Trek convention this year, and I, uh, I'll totally get a photo with her. Um and uh, I, I mentioned Battlestar Galactica earlier. She was awesome uh, when she was on Battlestar as well. So, I, but I do want to talk about her journey. You know, it, she said, um, you know, after a couple years with the Maquis, she decided to turn herself into Starfleet. You know, and, but I'm, I'm thinking about like by the between the time that she joined the Maquis and by the time the Maquis were destroyed, what what is it? we're talking about like two two and a half years maybe? Yeah, and. Like, hmm, did she just see where the wind was a blowing? And it's like, look, uh, I don't want to be on the run the rest of my life. I, I don't like do this a couple vest. Years in jail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think they have better vests than Starfleet I could wear. <laughs> yeah, what was with her vertical pips? That 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 irked me. Oh, I, that totally didn't jump out to me at all. <laughs> her pips were like facing the wrong direction. Was she wearing like a jacket that had a collar hanging down or something? Mm, I don't know. I'd have to go back and uh, see an image or look at the tape on that one. You did not notice her pips. No, I really didn't. It drove no. me crazy. It drove me crazy, sir. <laughs> no, so. I have to plead ignorance on that one. Um, so uh, I had pit blindness. <laughs> pit blindness. Fair enough. Um, you know, so I, I, I mean, okay, I can, I can buy. That's what she did. She turned herself in. Mm -hmm. They said, "Hey, you know what? We figure we can use you as an asset moving forward." Um, don't know why. Like he were already destroyed. What what kind of asset was she being used as in Starfleet Intelligence Camp? Um, I have, I, I feel like we're never really going to know outside of like spinoff novels, <laughs> but yeah. uh, I, I don't know. I feel like there'll be a whole series written about the covert missions of Ensign Rowe, but I won't be reading them. No, no. Um, so Worf's been chilling with Rowe for a good long time, I suppose. Um, we never really got to see them interact which is kind of a bummer although mm -hmm. like what was the relationship like on next gen like i I'm, I'm nothing nothing's really popping out to me no no um like most of her when i think of instant row i think of like scenes with picard obviously but also like Riker stuff i don't recall yeah. a lot with kind of the rest of the cast I even think about an episode like Conundrum in which the uh, next-gen crew's memory is wiped and they're all looking at each other's pips and uh, and Worf's baldric. And so Worf proclaimed because he has a baldric, he's clearly the captain of the vessel. Mm -hmm. And um, didn't really see that 
much pushback from Roe in that episode. I'm trying to think. The other thing is Roe only appeared in like five or six episodes, you know. Yeah, uh, we did. I did neglect one, though, one important one, which was the next phase where it was her and Jordy together. Right, right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But again, not a lot of Worf moments there. In the episode Disaster, Worf's on 10 Ford, delivering Molly O'Brien while Roe is on the bridge, uh, really schooling uh, Commander Troy about how to command. Yeah. Um, so... Those rascals. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I remember. Uh, Worf is taking uh, Alexander for playdates with uh, Ensign Rowe, right? Yeah, something like that. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm clearly making that up. Um, Worf has sacrificed quite a lot for this mission, Cam, hasn't he? So much. So much. So he says. He keeps saying it. They're not showing it, but he keeps saying that. Um, are we going to be told exactly what he sacrificed, or is he just going to say that he sacrificed a lot? It wouldn't surprise me if he never references this ever again. Um, or if he does, it's very heavy-handed. I'm just wondering how many more mystery handlers we're going to get on this show. Well, who's Roe's handler, Cam? Exactly. It seemed like Roe was Worf's handler, but who was handling Roe? It was Raffi. <laughs> and so it's just kind of like this circle. <laughs> this aura, and Ouroboros, right? And, yeah, um... exactly. <laughs> so... um. I don't know. I don't know. This episode, like, I, they're, they're, like, I wish I liked it more, especially mm-hmm. coming off the last episode. I, this is what keeps irking me. It's just like all the people that got to see these, uh, the first six episodes early, they kept going like, Star Trek's back, baby. Star Trek's back. And uh, I, I liked the first episode. It gave me hope. Um, second episode, I was like, ah, it's fine. Third episode, it's, it's moments. But a lot of those writing issues came up. Uh, fourth episode I thought was genuinely good, and now we're back to me feeling mixed again. And I just wonder if it was enough for people to see a lot of familiar characters uh, behaving in, in reasonably like familiar ways. I, I just wonder how much they're gliding off kind of the the Worf momentum, just how much fun it is to see Worf yeah. versus considering like what Worf actually gets to do, and that's what's getting a lot of these positive reviews. Unless episode six absolutely blows me out of the water, which I mean it's possible. Mm-hmm. But I'm just, I just wonder if people's expectations were just so low after the first two seasons of uh, of Picard. That's why everyone's saying, like, you fixed Star Trek. You are a god, Terry Metalis, you showrunner, you. I'm just like, ah, they've been doing, like, some stuff that just seems kind of like low-hanging fruit to me. I mean, I think, and I've seen the very high rating for this episode on IMDb so far. I just think also like when you trot out characters that people have not seen in a long time, and you mentioned Worf, but I think having Ensign Rowe in this episode or Commander Rowe now, um, that means a lot to people. It's a character that I think had a real impact on viewers. They have wanted to see her again. They got her. And I think in general, they wrote the character really quite well in this episode. So I can understand people being really, really happy and walking out just feeling a lot about this return to me it's just the stuff around it that did not connect at all yeah um well i mean moving forward i mean we're we're gonna get more legacy characters so i mean we were getting an admiral janeway shout out yet again Mm -hmm. i think this is like the third shout out she's gotten since like you know season two of picard are is a, a janeway appearance is kind of inevitable at a certain point, especially when, you know, Roe was talking about gatekeepers to Janeway 
that she couldn't get through. And, you know, Picard's like, well, let me see if I can handle that. Like, I, I just, you're kind of setting things up for a Janeway appearance, are you not? I just don't know why you would mention Janeway in this particular episode. You know, I mean, the previous one where Seven mentioned about Seven, uh, about uh, Janeway threatening to quit over her not being able to enter Starfleet. That one, it's like, okay, that's a throwaway line. This one yeah. where you're saying, can Janeway help? No, she's sealed off on her own. I'm like, that feels a little too on the nose. Like, you wouldn't mention that unless Janeway is going to do something at some point in the season. Um, Yeah. Wait, I did mean, you just imply that the... Uh... The Bajoran was being a little bit too on the nose. <laughs> I would be a genius if I had been uh, meaning to say that. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the compliments. Um, does that like? Did you notice her nose ridges were like barely even there? I did notice that. Yeah, and in 4K TV, I don't know why they wouldn't see more prominent. <laughs> also, like she had more like like her makeup was different than Kira's, and like she had almost kind of this um, kind of brow ridge as well on mm -hmm. Next Gen. That brow ridge was not pronounced at all. So maybe the lesson is, as Bajorans get older, their brow, their uh, ridges kind of, um, I don't know, succumb to gravity to a certain degree. I don't know. I can go with that. Um, what did you think of the Jack Crusher element of this episode? Um, everything I hate about uh, filmmaking, you know, just like where like. Um, it's a dream, a dream in which you're going to start it off with some wonderful Star Trek music looking out into deep space. Uh, who is this music playing for, Cam? Is this playing in Jack's head? Um, I suspect it's really for the audience. So the feeling you're trying to create is for the audience, despite it being kind of a, like this uplifting Star Trek music at the very start of the episode, despite it being in Jack's nightmare. I'm just like... It's like that sort of stuff. And then he assassinates like all the bridge crew and then he wakes up. Guess what, Cam? I wasn't shocked. And then when he assassinates the fella in the transporter room, I wasn't shocked when uh, it turns out he was just having a nightmare again. Um, when he assassinates all those changelings, because apparently he's been activated just like Dodge was in episode one of season one of Picard. Um, that actually, like I knew that he was in fact activated. Like he wasn't, like uh, just dreaming this time, even though I wonder if that's what they wanted us to think. And so it's just like, it's just I find this irritating, you know. It's like I, I, I'm guessing he has some sort of like, I don't know, uh, Section Thirty One disease or something along those lines, like running through him that would be of danger to the uh, changelings. So I, I guess that's why the changelings want him, or. I, or do, do you have another idea? I don't know. Like I, I'm finding this stuff frustrating. Well, it's like, it's entirely just something for people to try to speculate on. Um, but there is like a female voice saying things like come home in his head. Doesn't sound like Vatic to you. It did sound like Vatic. Yes. The first time, but then there was other voices that didn't sound like Vatic. So then I was just confused. Um, I have no idea what's going on there. It's the sort of thing, though, that I'm not a fan of either, and I like that now it's become just this cliche where when characters are basically corrupted, there's, like, the color red becomes very prominent, because I was reminded of Arium in Season 2 Discovery, uh, where, like, her eyes were, like, turning red, and I was like, oh, God. <laughs> I was forgiving then, because it was the second season of, you know, brand new Star Trek. At this point in the run, I feel like I've seen this cliche a few times, and it's getting real old, 
and I can't watch characters have hallucinations about doors opening very many times before I get frustrated. <laughs> so what you're saying is that uh, Jack's going to have to get blown out the airlock, and so you can have uh, Crush Dr. Crusher make uh you know kind of a, a sophie's choice decision about whether or not to uh open the airlock and he's gonna be banging on, she's gonna be banging on the airlock just in tears right exactly yes and <laughs> that'll be the final moment jettisoning um uh, jack crusher into space uh i it's the sort of thing though it's like they've left it so vague that all you can do is try to guess what it is but on top of that if it's tying into the villain of the season, which to me it kind of has to, like, it's one of these things, you know, when you read interviews with, say, like, uh, you know, Sam Raimi when he's making Spider-Man films or the Bond producers, they'll talk about the villain has to reflect the theme or else it doesn't make any sense. But the problem is they're obscuring the villains of this show, so I have no ability to guess what Jack Crusher could be going through because if Vatic is tied to what he is going through, who is Vatic? I don't even know who Vatic is at this point. So what do you want me to take from this? I, I, I know. It, it's, but it, it, so I thought when I rewatched season two of Picard, like knowing what the motivations of Q uh, were behind the entire season, I maybe appreciate the season in a new way. Mm. Cam, I didn't. It, it yeah. just, it seemed even that much more convoluted, you know, and yeah. they want a surprise at the end. I don't know if this, surprise is going to be worth it by the time we get to the end and that's what my concern is though i mean if you tell me that jack crusher has like you know lacutus dna and he's hearing the board queen's voice i go that makes sense but then on the flip side i say how does that relate in any way to the changelings and <laughs> some of the other perhaps surprise guest stars we have seen in trailers for this show i i don't think he has any borg uh, dna in him at all but yeah. um, I know you were speculating on that last week, but uh, here's the thing. There's absolutely nothing indicating that uh, would be the case. Mm -hmm. and, and like not even kind of a hint of that. So, but if we are talking about uh, Picard and his legacy with Jack, um, so he, another kind of frustration I'm, I'm getting with uh, Star Trek Picard is that the be all and end all in life within the Federation is to be in Starfleet. You know, of course, after, you know, like we, we saw Rafi rejoin Starfleet. We saw uh, uh, Rios rejoin Starfleet. We saw Seven of Nine join Starfleet. You know, they, they were like kind of this ragtag crew. But honestly, Cam, what the show is telling us is they weren't meeting their full potential, not unless they were in Starfleet. And so when you have mm -hmm. Picard, go to Jack and be like, hey, the best and the brightest always end up in Starfleet. Uh, and Jack's just like, nah, not for me. I'm out of here. And just to see like Picard's shoulders slump you know, it's kind of the fatherly thing. Like, he wants his legacy to carry on into Starfleet as well. I'm just like, eh, I'm okay with that. Like, Jack, you go do your own thing. But, Cam, I have a sinking suspicion that if we see Jack Crusher in a, a spinoff series or some other iteration of what's going on in this era, he might be in Starfleet uniform. Uh, uh, well, oh, yeah. he already was in a Starfleet uniform in this yeah. episode, too. <laughs> but also... When you have Picard give speeches about the, you know, the Starfleet um, in TNG or other characters in those past shows, I go, I understand. If you're going to start, like, praising to the high heavens the Starfleet of the new Star Trek era, like, what are you praising? It looks horrible. <laughs> like, I don't want to be part of this. Sheer effing hubris. <laughs> <laughs> well, and again, like we find out like Starfleet's been infiltrated at the highest levels. I'm like, oh yeah. Twice. 
That's twice in two, in three seasons of Picard. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I was like, oh, not again. You're just kind of repeating yourself once more. And, and, and like you said, Cam, the sheer effing hubris. And it was just, it, it's kind of like... It, it, uh, people, uh, I remember like uh, a lot of the apologists were like, well, look at look at the episode Conspiracy. It happened there too. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. They didn't spend season after season going back to that same well though. Yeah, it's like it's either the destruction of the galaxy or it is Starfleet has been uh, infiltrated at the highest levels. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so Cam, my prediction for season five of Discovery uh it, the galaxy will be destroyed because Starfleet's been infiltrated at the highest levels. It would be a bold twist. <laughs> it would be the boldest way to go out for your series finale, that revelation right there. Exactly, yeah. Right. Um, Cameron, we have a special guest uh, that we'll be welcoming onto the show for the first time since Scavengers, uh, season three <laughs> of Star Trek Discovery. So um, why don't we uh, beam on over to our discussion with Steph Herman. Sounds good. And beaming in today is Steph Herman, who at about 7.53 a.m. on Thursday began inexplicably direct messaging me spoilers about this episode, Picard, before I had a chance to watch it. So, uh, Steph, thanks for joining us this week on Subspace Transmissions. Oh, let me start off by throwing myself abjectly to my knees, genuflecting and groveling and begging for your apology. In my defense, um, I was a little sleep drunk because I had been woken at 4 a.m. And, and I said, well, since I'm awake anyways, I might as well watch Picard. And then like a fool, I just assumed you guys had watched it too since we were recording tonight. And so I made what I thought was a really witty clip. Uh, excuse me, a quip, but uh, turned out to be a complete and total blankety blank maneuver. So again, please accept my apology. Well, if it's any consolation, I spent the whole day uh, kind of annoyed until I actually watched the episode and I wasn't so annoyed anymore. So there you go. Um, so, uh, Steph, <laughs> all good, all good. Don't worry. Um, jumping in to episode five, before we get into your thoughts on this particular episode, um, I do want to hear a little bit about your journey about Star Trek Picard. Uh, seasons one, two, maybe not my favorites that Star Trek's had to offer, but uh, what do you make of the uh, <laughs> the series, at least in its first 20 episodes? Okay, so I think that it was an, a show that had a lot of turmoil both on and off screen and it all was there on the screen the challenges from let's be generous and say COVID and other things just made it super difficult to do anything and it seems to me like slowly but surely and and whatever the reverse of the uh, inmates taking over the asylum was happening even from season one to two to three certainly the three but by season two I'm like but I can see they're trying like, there's a lot of deep lore in here, pardon the pun, uh, that's that's in here. Uh, but, I mean, the, 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 the construction of the plot didn't make sense, and the characterization was still like watching, you know, I don't know. It was like watching a, a melodrama, and it was working out issues that were seemed to be a lot more about, you know, the writers and the actors than the characters. But we get to season three, and, you know, I hear you like some Star Trek in your Star Trek, and so this is what we're getting. I mean... Uh, it's it's clear that Terry Metalis has done a full court PR press, and it's it, it, it's good that he did it because it got us to feel like maybe this guy knows what he's talking about. 
And so far in the first five seasons, it's like watching a bunch of fuzzy, it's like getting glasses and watching everything that was fuzzy and indistinct all of a sudden snap back into focus. These characters are who they were. Uh, I, I mean, we'll get into today's episode, but um, I think today for me proved you can have these characters be who they are. You can write Star Trek the way Star Trek is supposed to be written. People can have trauma and it can be incredibly emotionally res- uh, resonant and it doesn't have to be melodrama. So, okay, we'll get to, you know, this week's episode in a moment, but I'm just curious from you hearing your thoughts on the return of characters from, you know, previous episodes like Worf and Riker and, and of course, Crusher. Uh, well, again, I, I, uh, the one uh, uh, unalloyed bright spot of season one was Nepenthe. Mm-hmm. And seeing, seeing everybody fall back into patterns of speech and, and being as actors and as characters, what a wonderful little visit with old friends. Okay? And season two, there's a little more. And, but to me, it's always about what um, is, is it working for the story? Is there a reason we need to, you know, that these people need to appear? Now, this is a story that is explicitly, you know, this, is, this has not been some sort of spoiler secret. I'm, again, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but the, um, the whole point of this was this is the, the Star Trek VI the, um, for the Next Generation crew. So it's a given that we're going to see everybody. So then, for me, the, the challenge is not, uh-oh, uh, why are they bringing Warp back? Oh, my God, why are they bringing this or that or, you know, uh, et cetera. Uh, but the point is, if I go into it thinking to myself, well, this is sort of a victory lap, and it's so far, you know, then I'm totally okay with this because it's it's part of the mise-en-scene of the whole piece. It's it's supposed to be a victory lap. With, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised and if you don't take politics into account, Barkley shows up and, you know, everyone loses their mind. Wait, Steph, are you just trying to spoil things for me more? <laughs> I, I just want to double check. I, I am I'm putting my chips down on a bet. I have no <laughs> foreknowledge whether or not this is going to happen. But that's the kind of thing I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about, uh, you know, cryptic uh, messages out there saying, you ain't seen nothing yet. And so far, it really seems to have kept the faith. So I'm fine with legacy characters to finish answering your question. If they serve the, the plot or the car, you know, or the um, mise en scène, and of course, if they're written like the people that the you know they, they have been over seven seasons of TV and multiple seasons of uh, you know uh, multiple movies, right? And why don't we just jump over to this week's episode, Imposters? I mean, we had the return of Roe, but what did you think? Just you know, in general thoughts of this episode before we kind of dive into some details. Well, I'm starting to get interested in what the meta plot is here and this is where if i have alarm bells they're going off a little bit potentially what's up with jack crusher uh, you know at first um since it clearly doesn't seem to be going that way i thought we were going to see the little nubbin bugs from the conspiracy <laughs> i thought oh that would be a fun <laughs> villain to show up you know the eat some eat some mealworms you know show some superhuman strength through a couple of people against the bulkhead the changelings is a, is a great second one um and when I see changelings and I think about Deep Space Nine, I start wondering about things like, I start throwing out weird ideas like, what if it's a parade or something? Because <laughs> uh, it's, he's got, it's red and pulsing energy and, and cold-bloodedly executing four changelings, at least presumptive changelings. Uh, so that's, that started to get me excited uh, and interested. Um, if they bring back Dukat... <laughs> As a paw wraith in changeling form. Oh no. You have got me sold on this season. All is redeemed. <laughs> Those first 20 episodes of Picard. Boom. 
uh, chef's kiss right there. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I can only say that the biggest surprise that I could think of, short of William Shackner showing up as James hmm. D. Kirk, would be Avery Brooks showing up as Captain Benjamin Sisko. That ain't going to happen. Yeah. yeah. No, well, that's that what I'm saying. <laughs> they're, they're, if, if you really wanted my jaw to hit the floor, um, that would be the way to do it. Because, you know, um, but who knows? I mean, they seem, I, I, again, I can't help it out in the Twitter screen, seeing the creators of this show, and uh, they're so smug. They're so <laughs> smug. And, and gosh darn it, after five episodes, it's like, well, you kind of have the right to be smug, because not only are, is, is all of these people coming back in service to the show, um, they, they generally add com uh, more complexity to the characters from previous seasons, I mean, how much richer and, and deeper are, are Raffi and Seven just being able to interact, be well-written, and, and, and bouncing off these other characters, you know, it's, it, to me, it, they, there's, it's just watching the whole, the whole thing get elevated. I think you gravely overestimate my interest in Raffi's <laughs> journey so far this season. Yeah, but she's still more fun to watch sparring with Worf than she is, you know, twitching and flopping around on the deck. Look, fighting with Seven throughout all of season two was a nightmare. Like, that was grueling. I, I agree with you. Uh, I think what they're giving her this season isn't good, but at least it's better than we got in the previous two seasons. But I just kind of wish, as much I like, I, I think there's a decent, like, Worf and Raffi dynamic going on. I kind of wish they had Worf involved in something a little bit more interesting. Like, I, th I think they've got the character down. I just want him to get some good material, or at least better material here. I hope that we're going to see more of it. I hope we're going to get that. I certainly love Obi Wharf Kenobi. I mm. think it's a great choice for him as a as a Dahar master. I would assume, uh, and just being a Zen warrior monk, terrific. I you know no notes. Well, maybe the mustache could be a little better. <laughs> but other than that, no notes. I I think like the whole Raffi Wharf thing. Like, if this show had been a completely different show from day one. I think there could have been a really compelling three-season, like, training of Raffi under Worf story to tell. Absolutely. But I feel like wedging it into this season has kind of, at least for me, made it feel a little more superficial than I would like. Ra Raffi could have been the Elnor of the series, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, you know what? She, she could have you could have absolutely folded those two characters together. And she could have been, uh, she could have started off being the wild badass that Picard drags back out of retirement. She was his chief of security and mm -hmm. whatever Elmo, you know, you know. Cam, I completely forgot in our uh, conversation from a few moments ago that uh, Elnor had also joined Starfleet because it is the be all and end all that everybody should aspire to be in the Federation. True. Yes. That's, well, that's what else just... are you going to do? Sit around at home and replicate ice cream all day? I sign me up for that. I, I, I wouldn't mind. Uh, I've always thought about like replicators. I like I have to believe like everything is like zero calories, but like all the nutrients in like a replicator, right? Now there's an answer to this. If you want me to put on my complete and you know embarrassing nerd hat on Please. for a second, the now, answer is the answer is... a spoiler, Steph. <laughs> no, it is not. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Fine. No, I'm curious. What is the answer? What is the answer? So according to the background here, I believe it's the Star Trek technical manual, the replicated food is as genuine as you can get it, but has every nutrient uh, sort of calculated down to the, the micro calorie. And you, ha you have personal biometrics in the system that goes, yeah, I can make a chocolate sundae, but that's it for you unless you want to get fat. 
So basically, it's like having a, a, a an overintrusive mom in the computer. It's kind of the dark side mm. of technology, but but they can be made sort of inver- they can they can manipulate the food to keep it within your caloric requirements. So you could have twenty ice creams before it probably would cut you off, uh, but each one would probably taste less and less like ice cream. Wow, that's not the utopia that I really imagined. I, I really thought that we'd be able to eat chocolate for every meal. <laughs> the humans of the 24th century do not need to eat their emotions. Uh, oh, okay, that's fair. We ha- they have advanced beyond the need to have chocolate when they're depressed. Okay, I mean, I don't know, like after Picard season two, where they're locking his mother in like a bedroom, I don't know that I have that much faith that by the 24th century (laughs) that they've really cracked that problem. Well, they're... (laughs) Yeah, therapy. (laughs) Well, listen, everybody, everybody's free to live their life. They're free to live their cosplay life as 17th century gothic heroes (laughs) and heroines. That's just what the Picards like to do. No judgment. It's the 24th, it's the 2250s. You know, you know, that's what they like. Who are we to judge? Well, let me ask you this. Uh, we do have some new characters uh, on the show. Uh, Jack Crusher, obviously. Um, that storyline, the, the mystery surrounding it, um, not my favorite kind of storytelling. Mm-hmm. But um, how do characters like, say, Jack Crusher or Crash LaForge or, say, uh, Captain Shaw, how are they popping out to you so far uh, five episodes in? So let me do a speed round here for this. Okay. Uh, I'll start with Crash LaForge because she's the one who's had the least amount of screen time. <laughs> sure, she could have easily been Jane Smith. Um, if we see that there's some important connection as to why she needs to be his daughter uh, later on when he comes onto the show, uh, I will revise. But that's what I think her. Um, the Trill Doctor, I want to just mention because she's not nice and I don't like <laughs> Dr. Her. Oak. Uh, yeah. Is that what it is? Yeah. Okay, well, you know what? She needs she needs a good talking to by her body slug if she's joined because not cool. I just wonder if like Doctor Oak has come under the tutelage of one Captain Shaw and she just doesn't appreciate our heroes. <laughs> you know? mm. maybe, maybe maybe she was the night promotion while Beverly was in charge of Starfleet Medical and she's carried a chip on her shoulder ever uh-oh, since. Uh oh. <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's actually Doctor Pulaski and uh, she's just in disguise <laughs> as a changeling. <laughs> Well, yeah, she's giving you a chance. Yeah, who knows? At this point, I wouldn't be surprised if the show will do anything. Um, where are we at? Okay, let, let's just... Uh, Captain Shaw. God damn, I want him to have his own series, and I don't mm-hmm. understand why. Uh, so either Todd Stashwick has so much charisma, and he can deliver this stuff which to make this ass be likable, or... Uh, you, he, it's just it's just an incredible addition to the roster of Starfleet captains, and I cannot believe that. I can't believe that this has happened. Like I have, it has been so long since we've had a sub character that to me has been such a breakout and so amazing, especially a captain. Um, I want to see his adventures. I don't think I can give him higher praise than that. And um, as for Jack Crusher, again, the kid's got buckets of charisma. Uh, he certainly seems to be able to go toe to toe with his father, which is important for the character. But as like I going back to what I said before, this whole mystery plot always flashes yellow alert to me because it can so easily be awful or hackneyed or both. So we'll see. But so far, I like him. I, I do wish to push back uh, with regards to Captain Shaw being uh, the biggest breakout character in a while. Um, I do think that Zora, mm. the Starfleet vessel that needs a pep talk from Burnham all the time, I think that's the uh, the breakout uh, AI character that uh, I've been waiting for uh, in Star Trek all these years. I stand corrected. Yeah. yeah. Can you imagine that spinoff? 
<laughs> uh, don't torture me with that. My my concern with Shaw is like, I like I, I just uh, are they going to kill him off before we we want him to go? Like I just I I keep getting the sense that they they, they want to do something big with him and and they won't let him make it all to the way to the end. And I I would love for there to be some sort of USS Titan spinoff in which he is, you know, there in the uh like like you're gonna put some legacy character whether it's like a. Uh, like a seven of nine or something on the ship, right? But like, I I could imagine him being like a, a really cool, very different sort of captain. And I just think that if any spinoff were to happen, I think I think Captain Shaw might not be long for this world. Okay, well you're breaking my heart, and I want you to to just sh- <laughs> shut your dirty mouth. No, he's gonna be fine. I hope so. On the other hand, he is wearing a he is wearing a red uniform, so you know. <laughs> I say, I say, even odds. Okay, okay. Is Shaw the MVP of this season at the halfway point? Oh yes, far and away. Yeah, I agree. Ooh, um, because it's been really nice to see Patrick Stewart do some seriously good Picarding uh, again. But yeah, okay, yeah, you guys are right. Either totally. him or Sneed. You're, you're just, you're just gonna cut. You're just going to cut everything before Yagi dies <laughs> right now. Well, it's like, okay, if you start asking me to give you a quote from Shaw this season, I can do so. Can you give me a quote from Picard from this season? Yeah. Well, I can now. Okay. All right. Uh, well, I, it's first of all, just to be charitable, it's not a quote, but the look between him and Beverly on the bridge of the Titan. Okay. That's not a quote. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, 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 began, I began by saying, this is not a quote. No, you began by saying, yeah, I can quote him. <laughs> but I can quote him now because I wanted to be charitable and, and do something that wasn't from this episode so that, you you, you know, uh, you're not saying, oh, well, yeah, you have to wait till episode five. But certainly the way he, the, the speech he gives with Rowan, when he goes, you, when he says, you broke my heart, I mean, it was it was pretty pretty powerful stuff. Well, you know what? To quote uh, Captain Shaw, whatever. <laughs> oh, ouch! Are you made of stone, man? Have you no heart? No, you know what actually hit me most is, is when Roe was saying like, "I did what I thought was right." You know, that is what yeah. really kind of like made my spine kind of tingle right there, and that it's that sort of stuff. And I, like for me, like the Picard moments, it just Patrick Stewart was giving a performance that didn't feel like the kind of performance he would have given 30 years ago. And there's just kind of this raw anger, like visceral anger to him that I just, uh, you know, I I'd mentioned it earlier on, but like, I don't see him speaking to Roe in this fashion 30 years ago. Okay. I, I don't think you're wrong. And I want to clarify. Okay. We're going to catch you off there. About a moment that I thought... <laughs> Fair enough. I just want to clarify that you asked me about a, a moment where I thought he was doing some good Picarding. Sure. In terms of who's better or doing better in that speech, I mean, Michelle Forbes and Roe, I mean, that knocks him completely out of the water. But that being said, he still, to me, is... But but you're not wrong when you say he's not giving the same kind of powerful performance he could have given 30 years ago. I have just... Especially, you know, uh, it's almost become more pronounced over the three seasons, even though they were shot so close together. I think he's getting tired. And I think he's an old man. And... 
sometimes I find myself just kind of holding my breath and then, you know, you just kind of have to take him a little bit as he is because he's 84 and he doesn't have that incredible baritone, you know, thunderous voice. He's always, he, that's always been mm -hmm. his trademark. And, you know, uh, and unfortunately that's, you know, time doth make fools of us all. You know? we, yeah. we, oh, I'm going to go for a deep cut, boys. We can't all be Flint living out our life building android women. Mm. Right. I'm more uh, time is a predator. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, hey, overall, I, I think the three of us, we are far more pleased where we're at in the halfway point of uh, season three of Picard than the respective halfway points of uh, seasons one and two, which concluded with uh, Stardust City Rag in season one and one of the gala episodes in season two, which may have been the one in which uh, Picard was run over by a Tesla, but I think that was episode six, not episode five. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. So much of that has just been excised from my memory. I mean, I know it happened because you're saying it, and I kind of, but I couldn't for the life of me pull up an image. Now, Steph, I was curious. What are your thoughts of Vadek this season? Oh, um, I don't know. I, it, I like a good scenery chewy villain. Um, she was in a small enough doses so far that she didn't get tiresome. And she was kind of fun. And then there was the added element of the, you know, uh, giving her her, you know, cutting off her hand and getting, you know, um, info from Change Lord. <laughs> uh, you know, that that is interesting. If she, I, I'd be fine if she never comes back. I'd be fine if she has a bigger part to play. And it, you know, and again, it, so far she's kind of fun. She's a little freaky deaky. She's got, you know, a flying weapon that was knocked out by a big rock. I can roll with it. Maybe she's Pulaski in disguise as well. That'd be amazing. <laughs> so I, th I think that's more likely than the Trill Doctor. And I am curious, you know, this is the halfway point of the season. Do you have a sense, just from what they've told us in these first five episodes, where we're going? I have what I think is some definite pieces of the puzzle that I think are going to fit into place. I think that it's, I would guess that the trip to Daystrom Institute is going to be like a haunted house. Mm. And that's where we're going to see Lore, and that's where we're going to see Moriarty from the trailers, and we may even get a few more surprises, like... Peanut Hamper. Just to be facetious. But, yeah, Peanut Hamper, or Benedict Cumberbatch, <laughs> or... Um, sure. You know, a rogues... A rogues... J.J. Uh, Abrams. A rogues gallery of villains, and, you know, what's his name? Christopher Pike's Frozen corpse whatever oh wow uh, but i think i think it'll be a i think that i think that's where a lot of these are red herrings in that we're bringing back all how do all these villains fit into this well they don't they're going to walk through it's going to be like arkham asylum it's going to be right or you saying riddle me this wharf and it'll be you know that i think that that's what we're going to see like um and you know what i don't think we'll see peanut hamper we might see the jeffrey coombs computer though mm, okay yeah. that'd be fun you know, and M M5, just blinking, blinking solemnly in the corner. Now I'm like racking my brain of uh, TNG villains who could be there in an Arkham Asylum-like situation. That's just it. It's like TNG wasn't exactly known for like a lot, like, I mean, like a boatload of like great memorable villains. No. You know, like, and the ones yeah. that they did have, they're kind of like dispatched with. Like, you're not going to get like Gul Madrid no. coming back. Like, like w w how is that going to work, really? Especially since David Warner has uh, passed on. Well, I was going to say, if you want to recast, you could also bring back uh, Commander Tomalak. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't realize it was it uh, uh, Andreas. I'm forgetting his last name, but has he passed on? Katsulis. Okay. Yes. I was going to yeah, say Andre- a while Andreas Kotalis, but like that's it, it, Casey Jones did not uh, portray uh, uh, Tom Locke. So. No, no, I don't. But you're right. They could bring back Roga Danar. Um, you're right. There, there, there aren't a lot of, of recurring. We've seen the recurring antagonists in the trailer for the season. Um, I know. What about uh, Data's mom? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Worf already killed Galron. He, you know, Worf killed Duras. They blew up the Duras sisters. I mean, Sela is the only one I can think of who's left. Yeah, I, I, I hope that they. Sela seems like a perfect fit for this show in terms of what they're trying to do. And again, like I am very spoiler averse, uh, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, uh, <laughs> Steph. But, um, but I, I, so I don't know anything. Um, I, I haven't been trolling the Reddit boards or anything like that, but I just think it'd be such a lost opportunity if they don't have Sela featured somehow. And uh, can I, I think we've been begging for it since the first season of Picard as well. Oh yeah. Now here's the question. Would you feel cheated if it wasn't Arkham, Asylum situation where Sela's lit behind a glass wall for like one minute of screen time. I don't think we'll see Sela in that situation because like mm-hmm. Daystrom is. I can understand why somebody like uh, Lore or you know uh, Peanut Hamper or Moriarty would be at Daystrom. Sela <laughs> uh, doesn't quite fit the same bill there. Right. What if it's Robo Sela? Sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's Hollow Sela. But you know what I think would be great. What if I if I could write the scene uh i would keep it on like metallis prime and after the romulan evacuation she just she became a drunk she's just there she looks oh. terrible she's like i used to i used to have a fleet sure you did have another drink i used to i once went up against jean-luc picard i swear to christ uh, maybe she's listening to that same song that uh, zephram cochran was listening to in uh first contact right that's right Okay. Is it embarrassing that I know that it's Roy Orbison's Oogie Boogie? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I guess on that note, uh, Steph, if anybody wanted to follow you out there uh, on social media, uh, what would be the best way to do so? Uh, well, you can always check out my random appearances uh, on Twitter at um, Big Swing Daddy, which, uh, again, just to reiterate, is for the music, not the activity with your partner. Um, my podcasting partner? Other than... <laughs> yes, well, what you and Ken get up to when I'm not around is up to you as consenting adults. No judgment. No call- Cam and I are swing dancers. But on bum dun 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 dun. Well, now I'm judging you. <laughs> it's like the mask every night. Yeah. <laughs> Smoking. <laughs> okay. Sorry, I, I, I've got a mental image that I'm trying to shake. Just give me that. <laughs> So much flat. Well, I'll hold off and saying auga, and um, <laughs> I'll thank you, Steph, for uh, joining us on the show for the first time since Scavengers for uh, oh uh, season three of Discovery. And uh, yeah, we we do appreciate your insights here. Thank you for thinking of me, and I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, talk trick with you guys. <laughs> Excellent. Anytime. Okay. Well, why don't we beam out and uh, Cam? We'll uh, move on with the show. Well, that was a uh, an interesting conversation um, with one Steph Herman, if not uh, uncomfortable at the uh, very start, but uh, it was all in good fun. Uh, Cam, back to the Cam DeLorton report, which I think was, uh, was this John Favreau's answer to Andor? Did he get like a little glimpse of the scripts that uh, Tony Gilroy is pushing through? And he's like, 
good golly, I need to address something about like what happens in this universe on kind of this more, uh, less of a fantastical scale and, and more like how things work on a logistical scale when you're bringing and integrating kind of the uh, Imperial forces uh, back in uh, to kind of the, this new Republic here. That is exactly what it felt like. It totally felt like an Andor episode. Not as well written as an Andor episode. Not nearly as well written as an Andor episode. (laughs) Cam, I did not like this episode. And I think we are off to a very rough start for season three of uh, Mandalorians so far. Yeah, okay. So, like, I like how it starts (laughs) with Mando coming out of the water and being like, well, I'm redeemed. And they're like, okay, let's go. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I wandered around the caves of Moria or Mandaloria or whatever for like an extended period of time to watch someone dunk in water and be like, well, done. (laughs) Okay, great. And then we get this extended... He he brought a sample of water with him, so it's all good. True. And then we get like it's this extended dogfight sequence, which, hey, well staged. They did a good job in the effects department there. And you're like, okay, this is the Mandalorian I know. Like, this is a high-paced you know, kind of exciting action show. Works for me. Boom, I cut to Andor, you know, clone for like 45 minutes. I was honestly shocked when I looked at the timer on this and saw that the latest episode was longer than the new episode of Picard. Yes, I was like, yes. oh, oh <laughs> normally I can cram these episodes in pretty quickly because they're like, you know, 33 minutes or something like that. And, oh boy, this was... This was a rough sit. Um, I like the idea of world building and exploring things that are going on on uh, Coruscant. You know, what's going on during, you know, this era of Star Wars in particular after the fall of the Empire, you know, in Return of the Jedi. That's sort of interesting, but like they did not find an interesting anchor to connect any of that to. And also, I have absolutely zero idea how this relates to anything going on on the TV show The Mandalorian. (laughs) Well, that's just it. This was not an episode of The Mandalorian. This was like, like, let's get the audience hooked with some Mando action. Let's go on this little excursion that has nothing to do with anything else that's going on. And then let's go back to Mando as kind of a bookend here. And it is their way of kind of um, not tricking audiences, but they didn't want to scare audiences off into thinking that maybe they had pushed the wrong button on Disney Plus when they clicked on the latest episode. I think that's exactly what happened there. When we got the Mando episodes from uh, Boba Fett, like the Uh last uh, two and a half episodes, um, I was totally fine with that because of how terrible Boba Fett was. And I think they thought, oh, well, we can just do that again. Like go on a kind of of an excursion episode and uh, it'll work so well. The problem was is like it, it didn't work so well because we had already been following like Mando and it wasn't like it was as dreadfully bad as Boba Fett, and we're ready to go on any other adventure here. And meanwhile, as you said, Cam, this is a terrible anchor where, like, I, I I could not get behind and empathize with this guy the whole time where he kept saying, like, yeah, I gotta do some cloning experiments <laughs> for the New Republic, man. Yeah. So, meanwhile, um, the person who is, like, tricking him into touching a rock and getting yelled at by the drone patrol um you know that's super suspicious the entire time so you know that's not going to end well for anybody involved especially for somebody i didn't care about and so i'm just sitting there watching this entire episode unfold thinking we're watching like um baddies the entire time and not baddies and like ooh, uh they're chewing the scenery this is so fun but just like kind of scuzzy people especially and that's just confirmed at the end when we see the um 
I'm blanking on the communications, like the reformed communications officer's name. So that's the the character's name is Elia Kane, and she's played by Katie M. O'Brien, who we saw recently in Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. Um, did not even recall her serving with Go- uh, Goff Midian, <laughs> uh, Moth Gideon. Um, Me neither. Uh, were we supposed to remember? Like I googled this character and there are yeah. shots of her from episode 12 of the Mandalorian and I have okay. no memory of this character whatsoever. <laughs> but it was confirmed like uh, like just as uh, like I, I didn't think she was just going to be like this righteous double agent. Um, I, I you know we see at the end that they're just staring at the uh, bad scientist who like I can't remember that guy's name. It was kind of like evil look in their eye. So I'm just like, yeah, they haven't been reformed or reintegrated either. Look, here's the deal. I think there was a lot of really interesting ideas going on in this episode about mm-hmm. what, ha- like, it's it's not like, you know, the em- emperor dies and suddenly the emperor or the empire is gone, you know? And yeah. I, I think that's a very interesting idea that they're playing with. How do you reintegrate what would be, what, billions of people? You know, like, that's fascinating to me. I think they just executed it in just a really like poor way, and it just stands out so much when we're coming off of the highs that were Andor. Well, and I was also wondering, is all this cloning stuff that feels like completely out of left field for where this show has been going since its premiere, is this all just like set up for the cloning of the Snoke figures and then Palpatine's return in Rise of Skywalker? Is this basically Kim, just filling I... in backstory? I don't care if it is. Does I don't Does anybody either. care? Like, that's just it. And that's a good question. Like, is that what they're trying to do? Because nobody out there cares. Nobody is interested in some sort of let's try to redeem uh, the worst Star Wars movie ever made. Like, I, I don't – I think the best thing to do is just bury that sucker and forget mm-hmm. it even existed rather than try to give it some sort of, like, redemption story a la um, Vader. Well, yeah, because like the whole thing was when Palpatine came back, it was just like hand waved. It was like the dead are alive, and it was like, oh, <laughs> who knew? <laughs> and I, You're I a feel big like Fortnite fan, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I feel like they are bending over backwards. It seems with where they're going in this to explain the return of the Emperor. I don't need an Ian McDermott uh, return to the Star Wars universe on the Mandalorian. Thanks, I'm good. But like, it, it feels like that's what they're trying to do, given the timeline of the show. But why why that's not what makes the mandalorian interesting well and also like have they been doing anything interesting with his character so far this season like he dunked himself in water tyler <laughs> <laughs> he could have been bobbing for apples for all you know cam like oh and then also i don't care that bo katan has been redeemed in the eyes of this like this like zealot cult of mandalorians either like and then she's cool with it. She's like, okay, I won't take my helmet off. I'll just chill with you guys. What else I got to do? Because my castle's been destroyed and the pe- the few people that were following me, they're gone. Uh, so, I mean, is that, does that really track with what the character that we knew of, like, in the fir- in season two? I have no knowledge of her in the cartoon show. But this, to me, I'm just like, huh? Okay, sure. I feel like The Mandalorian did a absolutely fantastic job in its first couple seasons of walking the line between people who just enjoy Star Wars and people who are really invested in all that expanded universe canon and the I know the animated shows are canon um, as well but you know a lot of the average Star Wars fans haven't watched those shows but 
it just feels like this season is tipping over into people that obsess over Star Wars lore. And I just feel like I watch an episode like this and I'm like, what did I just watch for an hour? I have no idea, really. <laughs> um, Cam, are, are, are we in for a bad season of Mando or could there be a a big run to the finish line. I'm just I, I I'm I'm saying this because I'm looking back at what we got from Boba Fett. I'm looking back at what we got from Obi Wan Kenobi. It hasn't been a great track record aside from Andor, which is being like made by an entirely different creative team. I'm very very concerned about uh, the where we're going in uh, this this show right now. Well, here's a question: Should we have been concerned when they basically undid? Sending off Grogu with Luke Skywalker. Well, so here's the other weird thing. Um, apparently, and I did not know this, you and I were questioning kind of the timelines involved in this season. Apparently, yeah. um, Grogu was off, and this is what John Favreau has confer- uh, confirmed, Grogu was off with Luke for two years. What? Uh, yes. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> and this, uh, the start of season three started five years after the first episode of Mandalorian. Oh my god. Yes. I had no idea. I had no idea either. And so when you're saying like, well, did they undo it too quickly? I don't know. I mean, he was with them for two years, I guess. But uh, that that went over my head. Uh, and apparently everybody else, because Favreau uh, had to clarify that. Um, I figured he either did that on uh, Twitter or in the press somewhere. It's out there. Uh, so, because um, I know what you're getting at, though. It was like, ultimately, was the, tri- was the show trying to be something other than Mando and Grogu and then very quickly gave up on that. And like, mm-hmm. w- was the show too insecure about trying to detach itself from the cute little alien? Yeah, because it felt like it reached kind of this nice conclusion at the end of season two where, okay, we're going to send the Mandalorian off on some new kind of adventure. And yeah, Grogu could pop up later down the road, but maybe we'd go do something else for a season he could uh, go dunk himself in water by himself instead of with Grogu. Um, but it feels like they got so insecure because uh, Grogu is a huge part of Star Wars merchandising at this point. You know, I was in Disneyland, you know, last um, November. Sorry, I, yeah, I think it was like November, October. I can't remember. It's all a blur. It's but, your birthday, um, Cam. You don't remember when your birthday was? <laughs> yeah, I didn't go on my birthday. It was November. It was the end of November. Um, I know your birthday better than you do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but if you walk into Star Wars land and start looking at merchandise, Grogu stuff is everywhere. And I wonder how much of it was like, you cannot write Grogu out of this show. Yeah, I I think that's what's going on. Yeah. Um, okay, well, Cam, uh, uh, an interesting episode of Mandalorian, I say sarcastically. I just feel very concerned. Uh, I, I kind of made a similar remark to you the other night when we saw Scream 6. And like I felt like I needed like a big portfolio of charts and names and graphs to keep track of all the lore that was being shared. It made me feel very much the same way that I did when we walked out of uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And I feel like we're going down that same path right now. Meanwhile, I'm excoriating the writers of Star Trek <laughs> Picard for dumbing it down too much. So um, <laughs> I, I cannot be pleased. I am one of those fickle fans that will never be pleased. My final note on this episode of uh, of Mandalorian. Did you see who directed it? Uh, it was a familiar name. Uh, 
It wasn't the director of, uh, it wasn't Dan Liu who directed the episode of Picard 2, was it? No, no, it was Lee Isaac Chung who directed oh, okay. the Oscar-winning film Minari. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> totally tracks. What? That's why, okay. that's why there are so many Mountain Dew references, right? Exactly. So yeah. strange. So strange. Uh, hopefully, if you know Chung comes back, he gets a better episode than this. <laughs> Maybe they're doing block shooting, and uh, his next episode will be the next up, episode four of Mando. And we'll be back next week to hopefully praise it, because I, I'm hoping Mando's taking a big turn at this point. Hopefully. And yes, and we will, of course, also be back to talk about the latest episode of Picard, which is called Bounty. We've had that before. There was an Enterprise episode called Bounty. We are recycling titles. I'm never a fan of when they do that. Uh, maybe they'll call it The Bounty uh, before he gets mm. officially to next week. We'll, we'll find out. We'll see. Just like we'll Emissary see. versus The Emissary. Exactly, yes. Okay, so I think on that note, our assignment is complete. If you enjoyed listening to the show, jump on over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash subspacepod. And you can also find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam. V is in Vulcan Gangster Smith. You can find me at Reportin, that's R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N, N as in nose of Rolaren is looking a little different. <laughs> okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. <laughs> Smoking. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>